If you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, you can open it up to 2 Timothy. We're going to be in chapter 2, verses 20 to 26. This morning, we're continuing our series in 2 Timothy called Standing Strong. Over the past couple weeks, we've been blessed to see Paul instructing his student Timothy. We get to see, we get to gaze into one of the wisest, most knowledgeable men instructing his own student. We've been blessed to see Timothy instructed in an area that we all struggle with so much, the need for endurance, the need to stay strong, the need to stand strong in Christ. Well, at this point in the letter, it seems as though Timothy is weary. He's weary. He's been working hard, laboring in the church. He's been sweating. He's been pouring out blood. He's been putting forth an amazing effort from the, for the church. But as he looks around, he's looking at his fruit and he's seeing little results. In fact, instead of people coming to Christ in droves, there's actually people that are banding together, these false teachers. They're leaving the church. They're banding together and making a coalition and coming back. And they're very much against Timothy's ministry. And their constant grinding against Timothy's ministry is causing him to grow weary. And it's causing him to question his ministry. We see Timothy questioning himself, wondering if he can endure, wondering if what he's doing is really useful at all, wondering if he's just wasting his time in this thing called ministry. I wonder how many of us can really relate to Timothy's feelings. We've labored diligently in our lives, but we've felt no progress. How many of, I, of us have pursued life balance but feel like everything's all out of balance? We pursue priorities in our life, but we feel like we can never accomplish them. We work hard. We sweat after tasks. We stay up late. We wake up early. And all of us at some point have really asked the question, is this useful? Is this worth it? Well, this problem for us is compounded by the fact that we know that it is very much possible to live a life that's in the end is not actually useful for anything. I was reminded this week of a story I read in one of John Piper's books. It was a story that was really impressed on him when he was a young kid as he sat at one of his father's rallies and he saw an older man come forward. He was recently saved and in tears as they fell down his face, he declared to his father, I've wasted my life. Just past, this past Sunday, as Pastor Ian was preaching, he shared with us the story of a man who on his deathbed told his son, don't pursue your career, it's worthless. Many of us have been to maybe a funeral where we've seen a person whose life was really useful. And we've been amazed as we've seen that person's life and the impact they had on everyone. We've also been to funerals where we've wondered what impact, what lasting, eternal impact did this person really have in the world? And so we know that it's true that we can live in a way that in the end we'll look back and, and see that everything was useless. See that it never came to a fulfilled purpose. What we want to learn in our text this morning is how to be the type of person that God uses. How do we be a useful instrument in his hands? And what we discover is this. If we want to be useful, if we desire usefulness in God's kingdom, then we must get holiness. If we desire usefulness in God's kingdom, then we must get holiness. Let's make that personal. If I desire to be useful 
in God's hands. I must get holiness. Now, I want you to see this in the text. And so let's read this. Uh, Let's look at the text together. And so all eyes on the word of God. This is who we want to hear from this morning. Look at what Paul says. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver. This is chapter 2, verse 20. But also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. We desire usefulness. We must get holiness. And so this text this morning is going to show us three ways to pursue a holiness that leads to usefulness in God's hands. And the first way is this. If I desire usefulness, I must cleanse myself from ungodly corruption. If I desire usefulness, I must cleanse myself from ungodly corruption. Now Paul begins his encouragement to Timothy in our text by sharing a metaphor with him. And this metaphor about a great house doesn't just come from nowhere. It actually comes from verse, the end of verse 19, where Paul says to Timothy, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Having charged Timothy to cleanse himself from iniquity, Paul now shares a metaphor to show him the importance of doing so. And in sharing this metaphor, Paul wants to show that the difference between an honorable vessel that's used by God and the difference from a dishonorable vessel that is not used by God is the difference from the person who cleanses themselves from corruption and the person who does not. And so if we are to be used by God, we must cleanse ourselves from corruption. Now look what he tells Timothy. He tells Timothy, imagine this. Imagine a great house. Now this great house isn't just any normal house. This is, in fact, a great house. And what that means is that it's a house that Paul wants Timothy to imagine that's the house of a very rich person. In this house, there are many rooms. And Paul tells Timothy, you know it to be true that in a big house like this, there are many vessels. Well, a vessel is an archaic word for things like cutlery, things like plates, things that you use in everyday life. And Paul wants Timothy to imagine in this house, as he understands would be true, that some of these vessels are used for honorable uses. It's a contemporary version of China. Although if you're anything like me, you've never found an opportunity to use them. You haven't had the queen over yet to use your China. These are the vessels of honorable uses. But there's also vessels in a house. There's also cutlery. There's also plates. There's also items that you use every day that are for dishonorable uses. These things are disposable. These aren't the things you bring out if you want to honor your guest or show honor to yourself. There are vessels of gold and silver that are for honorable uses, and there are vessels of wood and clay, the things you just discard, the things you get rid of. You see, the principle that Paul wants to teach Timothy, and in turn us, is this, that within this great house, which represents the church of God, there are varying degrees of devotion to God. 
Paul wants Timothy to understand that, that inside of his church, there are many people, and each of these people have a varying degree of devotion to the Lord, and because of their devotion to the Lord and its varying degree, there are degrees of varying usefulness. There are some people that are used for honorable uses before the Lord, and there are some that are used for dishonorable uses for the Lord. This would answer the question for Timothy that might have rose in his mind when he thought about Paul writing verse 17, that there were people that departed from the faith, people like Hymenaeus and Philetus. How could these people turn away from the truth? Well, Paul says it's because they never cleansed themselves from corruption. It's because they were were vessels for dishonorable use. The hope for us, church, is that we see the foolishness of being lazy in the pursuit of holiness. Paul wants us to see the foolishness of being lazy in the pursuit of holiness. At the end of our lives, there will be many who look back on their lives and they'll see because they didn't devote the things of their lives to the Lord that actually in the end ended up being useless to them. At the end of the day, when we stand before the Lord, we'll look before all the things we did all the talents we had, all the treasures we accumulated, and that which was not devoted to the Lord, that which was used for our iniquity, which was used for our corruption, will be made completely useless to us. And I want you to see this in 2 Peter. This is going to come up on the screen, and look at what Peter writes. He says this, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. He's speaking of the day that all of us, that will happen for each of us, where we stand before the Lord. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what's the result? What's the result? Look what Peter says. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? You see, knowing that that day is coming where you will stand before the Lord, the result is that you cleanse yourself of corruption. The the result is that you devote yourself to the Lord. The result is that you pursue godliness. You pursue godliness in the Lord. As we read this verse and we think about what Paul tells Timothy, I wonder how much of our times, how many of our talents, and how much of our treasures are like a paper plate to God. It's dishonorable to him. It can't be used for anything honorable. It's got no usefulness to him. But what a delightful truth this is. You don't, listen, because of this truth that God uses those who are holy, that means you don't have to be a theologian who writes a hundred books to be used by God. You don't have to be an evangelist that speaks to thousands of people that use it in order to be used by God. You don't have to be a missionary who goes into the middle of the jungle to be used by God. The only thing that you must do if you want to be used by God, Paul is saying, is pursue holiness. Cleanse yourself from every corruption. I think it's going to be a really beautiful thing on that day where all of God's saints, they gather on the throne of Jesus Christ. And I really do believe that the closest to the throne will be many people who were never known in the history or never remembered in the history of mankind. Maybe even never known. They, they passed away and their names were quickly forgotten. But they are close to the Lord because they pursued holiness and they were used by God in their lives because of their holiness. What a delightful truth this is. Ordinary people close to the throne of God, forgotten in this world but greatly used by God for their holiness. 
If this is true, if it's true that God uses those who are pursuing holiness, then it's also true whatever hinders our holiness actually hastens our uselessness. Do you get that? Whatever hinders our holiness in the end just makes us increasingly useless in God's hands. And this is the moment where we seek in our lives, we do self-examination. What is it in my life that I have not devoted to God? What rooms are in my heart that I'm saying, God, you're not allowed in this one. I'm keeping the light off in this one. This is not for you. You can't have this room. This is my room. See, the Christian that is useful in God's hands is the Christian that has a reserved sign on every table in their heart saying, God, this is for you. God, this is yours. God, you do with me what you want to do. I've cleansed my heart of corruption. I want to be used by you. I'm devoted to you, God. If you want usefulness, you must get holiness. Now look at verse 21, where Paul explains the metaphor he's just shared with us. In verse 21, he says this, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Do you see it? If you want holiness, you must get, if you want usefulness, you must get holiness. But look what he says. He shows us the result of pursuing holiness. He says this, If you are a vessel for honorable use, you'll be set apart as holy useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. You see, when we cleanse our hearts of every corruption, then there's a result in our lives. There is no heart that's cleansed of corruption that just stays stagnant in the Lord. When you cleanse your heart of corruptions, you grow in him. You grow and fruit is born in your life. There are results. Now, what are the results? Paul lists them for us, and as we see this, it's time for us to think about these things. We want to ask ourselves this question, do we see these results happening in our life? Because the reality is, if we don't see this happening, if you can pinpoint any of these results and say, this isn't happening in my life, then you have a good indicator that you are not cleansing your heart of corruption. And it's time for you to pray, God, God, reveal to me what you want me to devote to you. Reveal to me what you want me to Flee, reveal to me what you want me to pursue, what you want me to put off, what you want me to put on, God. So look at the first result. First thing we see when our hearts are cleansed from sin is an increased devotion. An increased devotion. I want you to see this in the text. Look at verse 21. It says, There'll be a vessel for honorable use set apart as holy. See, those who cleanse themselves from corruption are set apart as holy. They are devoted to the Lord alone. Now, Christian sanctification, the pursuit of holiness happens in two important steps. The first step is the putting off, the cleansing of your own corruptions. And the second step is the putting on of Jesus Christ, the devotion to the Lord. You see, there's many things that the the world offers that just have the cleansing part. Many programs that you can go to for rehabilitation. Many programs that you can go to for encouragement. Many programs can help you cast off what even we would say evil, but nothing but the Christian worldview offers the hope and the joy of Jesus Christ. And so you don't just cleanse yourself from corruption. When you do that, you cleave yourself to Christ. You are devoted to him alone. You're devoted to him alone. You rid yourself of the corruption and you offer yourself to Christ. This is why I love, I love singing that song. I I think every time I preach, I want to use Jesus, Son of God, as a closer because I love those words. On the altar of my praise, let there be no other name. Do you see the cleansing? 
We are so prone to put other names on the altar of our praise. We're so prone to praise the things and devote ourselves to the things that aren't God. But we come here on a Sunday morning to declare, I want nothing but you, Jesus. I devote myself to your name alone. I devote my life to you alone. I want nothing but you. The one who cleanses their hearts from sin and corruption experiences increased devotion as a result. Do you see it, church? Do you see it? Do you see in your own life increased devotion to the Lord? Well, the second result of cleansing corruption is increased service. Those who cleanse themselves, Paul says, are made useful in the master's house. They're made useful in the master's house. The one who has pursued a clean heart has obtained useful hands. With a clean heart, you're able to be used by the Lord. God loves to use the holy. And the one who is cleansing himself from sin and devoting himself to the Lord is finding that increasingly they're being used by God. Now the culmination of these past two points, that you, when you pursue holiness, you experience increased devotion and you experience increased usefulness, is why we urge so strongly to devote at least the first hour or the first minutes of your day to the Lord. Because when you devote yourself to the Lord, you're saying, God, I want to be used by you. When you commit and you discipline yourself to have devotions in the morning, to be in God's word in the morning, you're saying, God, I want to be used by you. I devote myself to you. Now, the reality is that not many of us wake up and spring out of bed and say, I want to be used by the Lord. That just doesn't happen. And if that does happen, then you probably can just leave. You don't need to hear this message. Many of us, how do we wake up? We wake up, oh man, I don't want to devote this to the Lord. I'd rather devote this to myself. We don't don't say it, but we think it. Oh, maybe I'll just hit snooze. I could really use another hour of sleep for work. And then what happens when we really do discipline ourselves? We get out of bed. We wipe the sleep out of our eyes. We stumble downstairs in the dark. We get to the coffee maker. We drink the coffee, and it's good, but it's not enough. But then what happens? So many of us have experienced that you open God's word. Sometimes you don't even have to read a word in this feeling of refreshment comes upon you. I want to devote myself to you, God. God, I want to be used by you. God, would you reveal to me anything that is hindering my usefulness to you? We devote ourselves to the Lord and his word so that we can be increasingly used by him. See, it's not just checking off a box. It's not just being able to say, oh, I read through the Bible in a year. It's, being, it's, it's setting your heart right before the Lord. It's saying, I want to be used by him. I want to devote myself to the Lord and to his purposes. You have increased devotion as a result. You have increased service as a result. The third result is this, increased mission. When you cleanse your heart of corruption, you will have the result of increased mission. Paul says we're to be increasingly ready to be used by the Lord. And so see what he writes in verse 21, that the one who has cleansed himself from what is dishonorable is ready for every good work. And see, if Timothy pursues holiness, Paul says to him, you're going to be more ready for the work that God wants to do through you. Now this means that anything that hinders Timothy's readiness before the Lord to do the things he knows that he calls him to do is sin for Timothy. That's what Paul's saying here. Cleanse your heart of the things that cause you to not be ready to serve the Lord. And for us, anything 
that steps in the way, whether it's a good thing, whether it's a great thing, anything that makes us no longer ready to do the work we know God has for us is sin to us. Now, I need to be vulnerable with you. As I was preparing this and reading this and asking myself the question, am I ready for every good work? Uh, the Lord graciously exposed to me a way that, um, that I had been ceasing my readiness. Something that I was doing that was causing me to, to not want to pursue the Lord anymore and in fact to be lazy to the things I knew that he wanted me to do. But we got, my wife and I had gotten into the habit of going home and, and we'd make dinner together and come home from a long day of work. And as we watched dinner, we would put on a show on Netflix. And as we watched Netflix, you guys all have probably experienced this if you subscribe to Netflix. You finish the episode and then a little timer comes up and you have 15 seconds to decide, do I want to watch another one? And you really have like two seconds to get out of your chair and somehow make it to the computer and stop it before it goes on to the next one. I'd noticed this th recurring theme in my life where even if I just watched one episode and was able to stop it, it resulted in me being lazy for the rest of the night, not really wanting to serve my wife, not really wanting to help my wife, not really wanting to have conversation, intentional conversation with her, do things to show her that I love her. This thing was hindering my readiness to do the work of the Lord. I wonder if each of us were to examine our lives, if we could pinpoint something that is causing us not to be ready to do the work we know the Lord has called us to do. And so we cleanse ourselves from corruption. We cleanse ourselves from corruption in order to be used by God. As Paul moves on, he wants to show us the next requirement of usefulness that comes from holy lives. And it's this, if I want usefulness, I must Concentrate my efforts on godly character. If I want usefulness, I must concentrate my efforts on godly character. Having taught Timothy about God's use of the clean, he wants to go on, Paul wants to go on to show exactly what that means. It means for Timothy that God's not only looking for cleanliness, he's also looking for character. He's looking for godly character. Not that you just cleanse yourself of the corruption, but you pursue godly character. And we see this truth that God uses those who have godly character all through Scripture. I think of David and Saul. What was the major difference between David and Saul? David, a man used greatly by the Lord. Saul, a man that was not. He was useless in God's kingdom. And the difference, Scripture tells us, was that David was a man after God's own heart. He was a man who had godly character. And likewise, if we desire to be useful in the hands of the Lord, we need to be people who have godly character. And so I want you to notice in, in these verses two character traits that God wants us to have. And the first is this. God desires that we have a heart that is pure. God desires that we have a heart that is pure. Well, well Paul will show Timothy how to obtain a heart that is pure. But first, I want you to see the character trait in the text. Look at verse 22. Where Paul exhorts Timothy to do two things. One is to flee youthful passions, and the other is to pursue godly character. But after doing that, I want you to see this before we talk about exactly how to get a pure heart. After doing that, Paul says, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. You see, by doing these things, by fleeing youthful passions and pursuing righteousness, love, faith, and peace, you are joining yourself to the people who have a pure heart before God. You're joining yourself to the people who, who are saying to God, I want a pure heart before you so that you can use me. And so if you want a pure heart, what must you do? 
Well, see that the first exhortation to the one who desires a pure heart is this. Paul says to Timothy, if you want a pure heart, you must flee youthful passions. Now, what does it mean to flee youthful passions? I've got to be honest with you. As I was preparing this message, I wondered more than a few times if it was anything more than a coincidence that the director of youth was assigned the text that said, flee youthful passions. I wondered if Pastor Ian wanted me to stand up here and say, okay, you guys see the things I'm passionately pursuing? Just flee those. Whatever Miles does, just don't do that. But I think there's got to be something more here. And as you look at the text, what you discover is two important words, youthful and passion. Well, a passion is anything that your heart desires. Anything that your heart desires. Often in scripture, it's, it's used negatively. And so it's a negative passion that your heart desires, and it's often translated with the word lust. An evil, negative desire of the heart. Well, in our text this morning, it's both negative and it's both positive. And so it's translated passion, something that you are passionate about. For a passion to be youthful means that it's based on inexperience and youthfulness. It means that Timothy wants to follow his own nature. He wants to do his own thing. He doesn't want to consult the Lord. He doesn't want to follow the Lord's way. Instead, he's going to respond in his own youthfulness. He's going to respond in his own wisdom. Now, we're, we're to Timothy to deal with the false teachers in youthfulness. It might mean this. It might mean that he might just flee from the problem. Being faced with a controversy, being faced with false teaching, being faced with confrontation, Timothy, if he responds youthfully, he might just want to flee. Maybe he'll just run away. I just don't, I don't want to deal with this. Someone else can deal with it. And Paul says, flee from that desire. Flee from youthful passions. Maybe Timothy actually wanted to fight them. We get the sense that Paul's holding Timothy back a little bit. Don't fight them. Later he's going to say, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. Don't fight them for your own sake. Timothy, that would be to pursue a youthful passion. Instead, Paul exhorts Timothy to pursue the situation God's way. You, don't, you flee your youthful passions and you pursue it. And he's going to lay out some, some ways that Timothy needs to pursue it. But first, we need to get this. That God desires his children to put off their own way in order to live God's way. How many times we've been faced with a problem, been faced with a trial, been faced with a confrontation. And instead of going to the word of God... Instead of seeking the counsel of God's children, people wiser than us, how often do we do it in our own way? Well, the godly Christian, the one who has cleansed himself from corruption, the one that wants to be used is the one who says, not my way, but God's way. The one who forsakes his own way to live according to God's way. Many of us know what it's like to forsake your own way, and, and we know that because at some point in time, you may have been married, and you discover, especially husbands here, you discover that your way is not the right way of doing things, and in fact, there's a different way that's much better for you to do. Now, Amber and I have been married almost five years now, which I think you should give Amber a round of applause, because <laughs> talk about staying strong. That's really hard to do, to be married to me for five years. That's endurance. And so you, you go to her and you say, wow, you, they should make a documentary about you. That's amazing. Well, one of the things that I discovered that I was doing the wrong way was categorizing laundry. See, before I met Amber, I, I lived a simple life. I had two categories of laundry. 
One category was my clean laundry. Clean laundry, it went in the dresser, and you hung it up. That was pretty much it. Clean laundry, you took it off, you wore it, and then it transferred into the next category. It became dirty laundry. Well, dirty laundry was thrown into the hamper. And from the hamper, there was kind of this intermediate state where it was being cleaned, and then it would come back to clean laundry. See, this was the simple way that I categorized laundry. This was the way that I lived. Well, when I met Amber, I discovered that I was doing this the wrong way. There's actually a third category of laundry that I did not know about. There's this category of laundry that it's, 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 too, it's too dirty for the hamper. No, too dirty for the dresser, but too clean for the hamper. And so it's this in-between category that creates a third category, and the place for this laundry is just scattered all over the floor, which I never got the wisdom of because that seems pretty dirty to me as well, but, but that's where it is. It's this not clean, not dirty laundry category, and what I discovered is if, if I lived my own way, that this wouldn't work for Amber. You can't put not clean, not dirty laundry in the hamper. It's got to stay out. It's got is, its own devoted place. And so I had to adjust my way to live according to Amber's way. Now, the illustration breaks down here because my way was actually the right way. (laughs) Amber's out with our new baby, Mia, so I can say that, and no one in here is going to tell her that I said that, okay? The illustration breaks down there, but with God, God's way is always right, and so the mature Christian is saying this, God, not my way, but your way, God. I'm forsaking my way. I'm forsaking what I think is right to live your way, to do what you say is right. How prone we are as feeble children to address the trials of our life our own way. And so what is God's way? Well, Paul wants to show us the character that God desires us to have. He wants to show Timothy the character that he must have if he is going to confront this situation with holiness and with godliness and be used by his hands. And I want you to see that the character that God desires is inward, upward, and outward. The character that God desires is inward, upward, and outward. First, see that God requires an inward purity. God requires an inward purity. Do you see the word there? He says, pursue righteousness. Now this righteousness, it's not the righteousness that comes from Christ when you believe in him and put your faith in him. That's imputed righteousness. This is the righteousness that comes from holy living, from the cleansing of corruption and the pursuit of godliness. This is the righteousness that is an inward purity. It is the integrity that a man has when his inward life matches his outward life, when he has nothing hidden before the Lord when he's walking in obedience to the Lord's laws and walking in obedience to the Lord's commands. See, it's an inward righteousness. But God not only desires inward righteousness, he desires upward trust. And so see what what Paul tells Timothy to pursue next. He says he must pursue faith. He must pursue faith, not only an inward purity, but also an upward trust, a trust in God's word, a trust in God's command, a a belief in his promise, a belief that what he says is right. He has an upward trust. This is the man with godly character. This is the man or woman that's cleansed himself of corruption, the one who has an upward trust, an inward purity, an upward trust, and an outward compassion. You see it there? Righteousness, faith, And love, if Timothy's to glorify God in this situation, he is to reach out to these false teachers with love. How prone he would be like many of us, weak children of God, to lash out in anger, 
to be hateful or maybe to ignore or to be selfish or to use these people for their own selfish gain. And Paul says, Timothy, you must love them. Put their interests before your own. You need an outward compassion. Notice also an outward reconciliation. Timothy is to pursue peace with these people. These people who are causing disruption, these people who are trying to sway people to their side, Timothy is to pursue peace with them. Timothy is to reconcile with them. Well, this is the character of a Christian that desires to be useful in God's hands. I wonder as we consider this inward upward and outward character that God desires of us, if there's anywhere that we can self-examine a weakness. Maybe you can look back on these last few weeks and, and there's something, some sort of inward purity problem. Some place where you lack integrity. A place where your inner life doesn't match your outer life. A, a room that you're trying to hide from God and you probably are successfully hiding from other people. Maybe you lack an outward compassion. You recognize that you haven't been kind. You haven't been loving. You haven't put others' interests before yourself. You've been lacking compassion. You've been lacking love. Maybe out out of these four things, you can recognize something that you lack, that you need to grow in. And you can say to God right now, just pray in your seat, God, would you change me? You know how much God loves that prayer? You know how much God loves it when you bow before him and say, God, I need to be changed. God, here's my sin. Change me, please. The first character is a heart that is pure. And the second character that Paul desires Timothy to concentrate on is a heart that serves the Lord. Timothy's continuing, or Paul's continuing to get specific about what it's going to look like for Timothy to cleanse his heart from every corruption. Don't you love the Word of God? It's amazing that God always gives us practical instruction in His Word. God is so smart, he could have written us a book that we don't understand a word of, but he's given us books with practical instruction, teaching us how to live a life that is useful in his hands. And here we see it as Paul instructs Timothy. Look what he says. He says, If Timothy is to honor God with his life in the midst of this controversy with false teachers, then he needs to have nothing to do with foolish controversies. See that in verse 23. Timothy had nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Instead, Paul reminds Timothy that you are to be a servant of the Lord. You're to be a servant of the Lord, and the servant of the Lord's are not quarrelsome. The servant of the Lord pursues godly character. Now, I want you to note the fact that Paul is not telling Timothy to avoid dealing with these false teachers. That's one of the ways that we might react to this text. Okay, well, then if any confrontation comes up with theology, I better just avoid it. But that can't be true because later down, Paul's going to say, no, instead, you need to correct your opponents with gentleness. And in verse 25 and 26, Paul's actually going to say, God wants to save those false teachers through your ministry. And so the correct answer isn't to flee. That would be a youthful passion. God wants Timothy to engage. God wants Timothy to pursue these false teachers, but God wants Timothy to do this in a God, with godly character, in a godly way. He wants to do this in a way that honors the Lord, in a way that says, not my way, God, but your way. And so with what character must Timothy pursue these false teachers? We'll see what it says in the text. First, Timothy must be kind to everyone. Timothy must be kind to everyone. How hard this would this be for Timothy? It would be very easy for him to be kind to one person that he really likes and really gets along with, but it would be very difficult for him to be kind to the person that is attacking his ministry. 
or to be kind to that person over there that's kind of maybe a bit, you don't like socializing with them. It would be hard for him to be kind to everyone. And, and Paul's exhortation is if you want to be used by the Lord, there's a kindness that you need to give to everybody. God desi- desires useful, universal kindness, Timothy. Well, what else does God desire in his character? God desires that you be able to teach, Timothy. When you hear these false teachers teaching what doesn't accord with the truth of God, you need to be able to show them where they lie wrong. That's why it's wise for us as Christians to know a little bit about the Bible. It's wisdom for us to know how to share the gospel with someone. Now, I don't mean you need to know every little detail about every little cult or false religion or every false teaching, but you do need to know how to share the gospel with someone. And let me ask you this. If we were just to stop right now and you were to come up on the stage and we gave you a microphone, apart from the stage fright that might be experienced, would you be able to say the gospel? Would you be able to give a clear presentation of the gospel? Would you be able to teach someone who asks you, what does it mean to believe? Would you be able to teach them what the gospel is? The one who wants to be used by God is able to teach. Next, the one that wants to be used by God, and if Timothy wants to be used by God, he must patiently endure evil. Oh, how how many of us know that it rarely happens that we have a conversation, a confrontational conversation with someone, and they say, oh, you know what, you're right, I'm going to adjust my living to your standards. We would love that, but we know even ourselves, when someone confronts us about something, we get defensive. Don't you dare confront me about that. And, and these false teachers, they actually get not only defensive, they get offensive. How dare you say that? Now I'm going against your ministry. Never say that kind of thing to me. And they're causing Timothy to be enduring all this sorts of evil. And Paul says, don't lash out at them. You patiently endure that. You sit under the trial that God has placed you under. You patiently endure evil. This is the one who God uses. The one who patiently is enduring the evil that is being thrown against them. God also desires that Timothy would correct his opponents with gentleness. See that in the text. His desire can't be to devour his opponents, but he must gently show them where they are wrong in their theology. How often we want to win an argument for argument's sake. How often we want to win an argument so that we can seem really smart or that we can vindicate ourselves. Timothy's not to do this. He needs to genuinely desire their conversion, to genuinely desire that they would be gently shown where they're wrong. Now, we could spend a whole message on each of these character traits, and we could draw all sorts of applications about each one, and I hope that the Spirit is impressing on you some right now, but it's going to have to suffice to say this morning that God cares about character, In our evangelistic efforts, God cares about character. God wants to use his children evangelistically who are pursuing godly character. Now, this is important for us to hear because so often we're worried not about our character in evangelistic opportunities. We're worried about the content of our evangelistic opportunities. We fret so much about, oh, what should I say to this person? What's the thing I can say that will really change that person's mind? We know no word could change a person's mind. It needs to be the Spirit of God. But so often we fret about the content of our conversations with unbelievers. And Paul wants to say to Timothy, it's not the content. It's the character that God wants to use. You see, Paul was one of the most masterful teachers. He was amazing with logic. 
And we see in the book of Acts, we see him tear apart worldviews. We see him prick holes in the views of world, in worldviews. We see him tear down people's false beliefs. And I wonder if Paul could have wrote to Timothy and said, hey, if you really want to correct these false teachers, say this. This is where their argument falls short. Let me show you a few things in scripture and just say this. Paul could have done that. He could have done that, but but he recognized that God didn't want to work through the content of his conversation. God wants to work through his character. The experience shows us that most often it's not sound logic that's going to break the barriers of false worldview. It's not sound logic. It's not the right things to say. It's the right character of the person who is saying it. That's why you can have the person who knows everybody. We've all experienced this, I'm sure, a person who knows everything. He knows everything about everything, but he's got a bad attitude. And he's not kind and he's not loving and his character is shallow. And because of that, you never hear what he has to say. Even if it might be legitimate, you just don't hear it. But then there's the person who knows next to nothing, but they come with a character that is godly. And they love you and you see that love and you hear what they have to say. You hear what they have to say. You give an ear to them. You see, God wants to work through your character. And sometimes God will use the weakest presentation to save the souls of the people he wants to save. Now, this doesn't mean that we can just not care about content at all. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying it doesn't matter what you say, just go and be a really loving person because it does matter. The Bible says we need to speak the truth, but we need to speak the truth in love. See, content does matter. God wants to save through the truthfulness of his gospel. But I'm just saying that it's not always so important about how you say it as it is important the one who is saying it. Now, having talked about the character Timothy needs to serve God's purposes, Paul now wants to get clear about God's purpose in Timothy's situation. See, if, God's, if Timothy's really cleansed himself from corruption, if he's really pursued godly character, then what is it that God wants to do? And see this in our next point, that if I want to be useful in God's hands, I must commit my life to God's cause. If I want to be useful in God's hands, I must commit my life to God's cause. Cause. And so Paul shares with Timothy what God wants to do through his holiness, how God wants to use him, and see it in the second half of verse 25. Paul says this, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of truth. Notice the means which God wants to use to save these false teachers. He desires to use the holiness and purity and character of Timothy to save and redeem these false teachers, to bring them to repentance and to give them eternal life. Now this is astounding when we think about it because we serve the God who is sovereign over all creation. Do you not believe that God could snap his fingers and in an instant the greatest of all false teachers would be converted? He doesn't need your words. He doesn't need your influence. He can do it in a heartbeat. Or don't you think that these false teachers could be driving along one day and in the clouds, see, as God penned with the clouds, you need to repent. See, God could have done it himself. He didn't need Timothy. And yet it's God's grace and love to use Timothy. He wants to use Timothy as an instrument. He wants to use him in his purposes. He wants to use him in order to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in the lives of these false teachers. Now, this message is pivotal for Timothy to hear. It's pivotal for Timothy to hear because at a time when it's easy to give up, 
God says, you need to endure. I want to accomplish my purposes through you, and so you need to endure. Don't step back from pursuing holiness. Take a step forward from pursuing holiness. This is true for us. So often, so many of us have felt this life gets hard when we were walking on the mountain. We loved being in God's word. We loved being close to God. We loved committing ourselves to God, devoting ourselves to God. But when life gets tough, when trial hits, when hardships hit, so often we step away from the, God of, the word of God. We say, I don't want to do it God's way anymore. It's too hard. I want to do it my own way. But whenever we do that, whenever we step away from the pursuit of holiness, it actually just causes weariness. It dries up our energy. We don't feel any more refreshed. Instead, Paul says to Timothy, you need to step forward. You need to pursue me more. How many of us experience this on summer vacations where we step away from the regular routine and maybe just for whatever reason we're not regularly in the word. And we experience this at the end of that week or, or the end of that vacation. We experience just this dried up, unsatisfied feeling. The wish that we had devoted ourselves to the Lord. You see, the one who devotes himself to the Lord finds rest. The one that walks with Jesus finds that their burden is light because Jesus is carrying it with them. And, Tim, and Paul wants Timothy to know in the midst of this trial, you need to pursue greater holiness, not step back. You need to have a greater zeal. You need to cleanse yourself of any apathy and any corruption that you have. And the Lord will work through you. See, at a time when Timothy was discouraged, at a time when Timothy felt like he should give up, when he should deviate from the mission, Paul says, no, do not deviate, but devote yourself to the mission. And the same word is for us who are weary, for any who are broken in this room, for any who feel like they just can't do it more. Know that relief will not come from taking a step back from the gospel, from deviating from God's way. Relief will come when you devote yourself to the Lord and devote yourself to the Lord's ways. Next, I want you to see what happens to the false teachers. Being saved, Paul says, they come to their senses and they depart from the captivity of the devil. Now, I have a word for those of you who are here and you don't live under the reign of Christ and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. I want you to put on the lens of Scripture and I want you to take a look at your own life and I want you to see where you are. What's your position before God? And see first that if you haven't come to Christ, then you have no sense. That sounds really Hard to say, that sounds really unloving, but I say it in complete love because if you don't view the world through the lens of Scripture, you don't have a true view of the world. Only the Christian worldview can make sense of this world. And at some point in your life, you are living an inconsistent life with no sense. You're living in God's world, but not acknowledging that he's the maker of this world. Notice also that if you aren't under the reign of Christ, if you aren't pursuing Christ, then you are under the reign of Satan. Scripture says that if your father isn't God the Father, then your father is Satan. It says if you aren't under the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are under the reign of the prince of the power of the air. There are too many in this world that are prone to believe that there's a neutral position before the Lord. Like, oh, I'm not against God. You know, I'm not a Satanist. I'm not part of a cult. You know, and, I, and I let people practice their religion, but I'm just, I, church isn't for me. And I don't like all those rules and all that, that obedience. That's just not for me. I'm just kind of neutral. I'm sitting on the fence. 
We think that there's a neutral position before God. And you need to hear this morning that is just not true. There is no neutral position. You are either for him or you are against him. And on the last day, it will be revealed who was for the Lord and who was against him. And so see God's grace in your life. See God's loving offer to you. God is a God who reaches out to all mankind and he says, would you come to me? Would you come to me? Would you turn to me? Would you place your trust in me? Stop living this life for your own way. Stop believing that you have freedom apart from Christ. You're captive to the devil. You only have freedom in Christ. God's offer to you this morning, see God's grace. Don't miss God's word this morning. His offer to you is to find salvation and freedom in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And if you will just turn, if you will just turn from your ways, and believe in Jesus Christ. Believe that he died on the cross so that a wretch, an unrighteous person, could stand before a completely holy God, demanding completely, complete holiness. A, a wretch can stand before God, righteous because of what Christ has done. If that person will come to, to God in repentance, if that person will come to a knowledge of the truth that they desperately need Jesus Christ, the offer for you today is freedom. Freedom from captivity. God offers it in an instant. You don't need to do anything but believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of your life. You need to do nothing more than that. Now church, hear this call to believe and see that this is what God wants to use you for. This is God's great aim in the life of the church. Oh, that the Lord might see fit to not only fashion many instruments in here for our sanctification and to help each other grow, but that through our holiness, through our devotion to him, God might grant us to see lost people saved. You see, as we commit our ways to him, as we cleanse ourselves of corruption, as we commit and concentrate our efforts on godly character, as we commit to his cause, this is what God promises to do. He promises to work through our holiness for his purposes. Church, would you hear this? Would you hear this? God desires you. He desires to use you. Oh, that we would be a church that longed to go. Oh, that we would be a church that longed to be sent. Sent by God for his purposes, in his character, to do what he will do with us and to accomplish his purposes through the world. What joy we're going to have when we are used by the Lord in that way. What joy we will have when we see lost people saved as the Lord uses those who are devoted to his name in holiness. Let's pray. Father, that we might be a church like this. That we might be a church that is holy in your sight. Lord, this is our prayer. And we just recognize that we have no power, Lord, in ourselves. That we desperately need you. Lord, I pray even now, if there's anyone in this room unconvinced of the need for holiness, unconvinced of the joy and satisfaction that comes when we pursue you, when we long to be used by you, Lord, if there are any in this room that aren't there, Lord, that your spirit right now would bring them there, God. God, we thank you for the gospel, and this room is living proof of the work of the gospel. God, it works, it saves those who believe in you the good news of Jesus Christ, those who cast their faith in you and turn in repentance, find eternal life. And Lord, it's our prayer that increasingly as we are sent from this place, increasingly as we go bearing the mission that Christ gave to his disciples, that we would see more lost people saved. 
Oh Lord, for this room to be bursting at the seams with people who have come to you because your church has committed their ways to you in holiness. God, this is our desire. And so help us, God, to cleanse ourselves from every corruption that is in our heart to say to you, God, I want your way. Do with me what you will. Send me where you want. Accomplish in me your purpose. God, this is our prayer. We pray it in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.